I'm going to need your help this morning with the sermon. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'd love for you to go to the comment section of our live stream and just post a comment there in your answer to this question. I'm actually going to come back to this uh, in just a minute. So I know there's a little bit of a delay, so it might take a little bit to get the uh, circle back. But here's a question, and then is, what do you spend the most time dreaming about? What do you spend the most time dreaming about? Not thinking about your dreams at night, but really your daydreams, like, or your dreams for the future, or your dreams for life. What do you spend most of your time dreaming about? Some uh, example, like people I know dream about winning the lottery and all the things that they would do if they won the lottery and what they would do with the money. And so what would those dreams be for you? Maybe you're dreaming about a new job. Maybe you're dreaming about getting out of co- uh, quarantine of some kind. Maybe you're dreaming about a new house or a new place to live. Or maybe you're dreaming about a new car. Maybe you're dreaming about a new computer, all those things. Uh, or maybe you're dreaming about something else altogether. So go ahead and if you're not already, just get on there and post those comments right now. Uh, give me some help with the sermon this morning about what you're dreaming about. Because when we, I want to talk today about following Jesus and what success looks like. A lot of times we define success in this world about achieving our dreams. When someone achieves their dreams, that's how we measure success. If they've achieved their goals or their dreams for their life, or they've gotten that dream job, or they've gotten that dream house, or they've gotten that dream uh, lifestyle, we consider them to be successful. And so a lot of times we measure success and define success by wealth or by standard of living or by lifestyles, and we define success that way. And those are our dreams. That's really what we call the American dream. Now, measuring success, let's take a look at maybe some of the things. I'm going to try and get on the app here uh, and go ahead to our live stream and see if we got any comments yet about what you're dreaming about and see if anybody is willing to chime in. I know earlier today we got some comments about people dreaming about retirement um, and so forth. I'm not seeing anybody yet. I see a lot of people on here um, and saying good morning, but I don't see any comments yet. So if somebody else, do we have any yet coming in? All right. So I'm just going to keep chatting a little bit about measuring success I know some of the things we heard about earlier this morning was uh, retirement. People are dreaming about retirement. People are dreaming about that vacation that they keep having to cancel and have to postpone and redo. And I know that's something that uh, Heather and I uh, have also, we planned a 30th anniversary trip to Hawaii that we've now canceled twice. And now we're looking at next year and trying to line that up. And so those are some of the things that we may be dreaming about. What are you dreaming about? And what is success? How do you measure success in your life? So I'm going to keep going here because in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see in the passage that Jesus is confronting the disciples' measure and definition of success. So a couple things that are happening here. There's a guy named Peter, and Peter is one of the 12 disciples, and they've gathered with Jesus for like a retreat. They're away on retreat. And Jesus asked the disciples a question. They say, who do you say, who do people say that I am? And they answer that question. And then Peter makes this great statement in the Bible. He says, uh, Jesus, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're, you're, the, you're the chosen one, so to speak. And, and, and Jesus is like, yeah, you got it right, Peter. You got it right. And so Peter, at that moment, has said to Jesus, Jesus, 
in the eyes of the Jewish people, in, the, in my eyes, you're successful. You are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're, you, you are the one that we've been waiting for, right? And then the next thing that Jesus does is he talks about how he's going to go to Jerusalem and die for them. That he's going to actually encounter crucifixion. He's going to die on a cross and then be resurrected. And so he tells them this, and Peter gets really upset with Jesus. In fact, it says that Peter scolds Jesus for saying this, right? So what's happening here between Peter and Jesus is Peter's got one idea of what success looks like, and Jesus is saying, no, this is what success looks like. It looks like a cross. And this just doesn't make any sense to Peter. It doesn't make sense to us, does it either? And so Peter is saying this to Jesus, and here's Jesus' response to Peter. He says this, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. And so what he's saying to Peter is your definition, your dream for me is not God's dream. And your, God's not, your thoughts are not God's thoughts. And a lot of times we get these two things mixed up. Remember, a follower, we defined last week a follower. This series is called Follow Me, Follow Jesus. And we're going to talk about what a follower is. Our def- definition of a follower is this, to go or be in the same way with someone in thought and action. And so to be a follower of Jesus is to think like Jesus and act like Jesus. And here again, Jesus is saying, my way heads to a cross. This is God's way. This is God's dream for my life, God's mission for my life. And so here's the way I'm going. And so to think and to act like Jesus means to follow in his footsteps. Now, we'll unpack what that means and what that looks like in reality. And I don't th- we don't think that it's literally God is asking everybody to be martyred or to die. We'll talk about that as we jump into the text today. But let's take a look at what the passage is. We're going to be in Mark chapter, thir- chapter 8, verses 34 to 38 this morning out of the Contemporary English Bible. And here's what Jesus does. So after Peter, he says, to Peter, you know, called Peter Satan, basically. He says, then he gathers the crowds around him, and he gathers the disciples around him, and this is what he says. Verse 34, after calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. So Jesus is laying out some marks of discipleship, some marks of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to reflect on a few of those that he shared in this passage. The first mark is really saying no to ourselves, right? Saying no to our dreams, saying no to our measure, our dreams of success and what success looks like in this life. So I think part of the first step for each of us as a follower is to, what are we going to say no to? What dream do we need to say no to so we can say yes to God's mission and God's dream for humanity? So we have to think about that. And a lot of times, this is going to be a challenge for us. I know it's been a challenge for me, even as a pastor and it's been a challenge for me in the past because a lot of times we're caught up in this culture that is so driven by what we call the American dream of a house and, and wealth and lifestyle. 
And I think back to a time when we were, our family was starting a church. Uh, my wife, Heather, and my two daughters, Rachel and Lauren, we were moving to a, a neighborhood, and we were going to start a church in a new community, but we couldn't afford to live in that community. We couldn't afford a house in that community. So we looked at some other areas that weren't, were more affordable for us, and so we bought an older home in an older neighborhood, and we moved in there, and there was nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with the house. It was a great house for us, great neighborhood for us to live in. There was nothing, um, nothing, that, of that, nothing wrong with it. But what happened inside of me is I was looking at some of my friends and the houses they were moving into, and some of my friends were moving into big houses and new houses and with lots of land and in new neighborhoods, and they were getting all the new stuff and the new kitchens and the everything, you know, you dream about that Home Depot and Lowe's wants you to dream about your house. And, and they were getting all that stuff and buying this and going to pools and having neighborhood pools and parties and all this stuff. And I remember feeling kind of sorry for myself, kind of sorry for us that we were living in this older neighborhood, in this older house, and feeling like we weren't successful, right? We weren't living the American dream. And yet God had called us to another dream, and that's why we were there. We weren't there to live our dream. God was actually calling us to, of a dream of starting a church for unchurched people. And so we did that. And, and that actually was successful. <laughs> it's interesting because even though my, the Ameri- we weren't living or would have been seen as successful when it came to the American dream, in terms of what we were doing for God's kingdom, we were achieving goals. And we were achieving God's dream of bringing people to know Jesus. And so I think about that, that time, there were these two competing dreams inside of me, the dream, the American dream, and then God's dream for humanity. And I have to, we have to put that in context, right? We're all going to struggle with this, but we have to put it in context, and we have to decide which dream wins, which dream is going to be the winner, and which dream is going to be the loser. That's actually part of what Jesus is saying, too, about being a winner or a loser, to be a loser, right? So which dream is going to win out? Which dream is going to take priority in our lives? God's dream or the American dream? That's a great question for us all to wrestle with as a follower of Jesus. The next mark of a follower that Jesus brings up, he says, take up a cross. We're we're to be taking up a cross. And taking up a cross, the people who first heard Jesus say this would have literally thought of a cross, a crucifixion, uh, the Romans would, had a, a way of capital punishment called crucifixion. And what the Romans would do is they would put a beam of wood and they would put it vertically in the ground and they would make a post in the ground. And then the person to be crucified would carry the cross beam or the other beam that made the cross on their shoulders. They'd have to carry that beam to their crucifixion, to the place of the, where they were going to be crucified or where they were put to death. So it's interesting that Jesus uses this imagery for this, the hearers because that's immediately what the hearers, the disciples, the crowds would have immediately thought of this idea of crucifixion. And so what is Jesus saying? Like, what is he saying? We're all supposed to die? We're all supposed to become martyrs? What, what, what's going on? So if you take it literally, uh, that's what they would have assumed, right? There's more going on here, and this is a metaphor more so for what Jesus is saying, is that we have to be willing to give something up. We have to be willing to give up our very selves and our very lives. It doesn't mean that we're to go to death, but it means we're supposed to give up our lives for the sake of something bigger and greater than ourselves, which is what Jesus was doing. And trusting that as we make that sacrifice, that God's power will show up in our lives. Just as Jesus laid down his life and was resurrected by God's power, he had to totally trust 
in God's power for that resurrection to happen. And you and I, too, are called to follow in Christ's footsteps and make sacrifices trusting in God's power in the midst of it. So if the cross is not, let's say, literal, right, for us is to become martyrs, what is it, right? Here's an idea. Maybe it's our mission, right? What is it, the mission? What is God calling us to do with our lives? What is our purpose? What does it look like to live on mission and to have a mission for our lives that we would sacrifice for, for God's kingdom, for others, for to make a difference in the world around us? So I'm going to encourage you to do a little exercise today. You don't have to do it right now. I'm going to set you up for it. And I want you to spend some time today or this week writing your own personal mission statement. So here are some things that you want to include. It just has to be like one sentence. And here are some things to include in your personal mission statement. Number one, what God has gifted you to do. God has given you gifts, abilities, skills that God could use for the benefit of others. Number two, how God has created, wired your personality. We're all different. We have, some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. So how has God created and wired you and your personality, and how does that tie in with your gifts and abilities? So include that. And then number three, really the bottom line of the mission is what difference God wants you to make. So how would God take your gifts, abilities, your personality, and align those two things to make a difference in the world around you, to make a difference in the lives of others, or make a difference for God's kingdom? What would that look like for you? That would be your personal mission statement. So I encourage you to write that today or this week. Spend some time praying about it, thinking about it, and what would it write? And if you write one, send it to me. I'd love to see your own personal mission statement. Email it to me, matt at ffmc.org. I'd love to see your personal mission statement and what you see as your purpose in this life that you are called to, because that's your cross. That's your mission. And each of us is being called to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, to deny our dreams of success, and to take up our own mission for God's kingdom. So those are the first two marks. The third mark is really, uh, Jesus is again, a hard one for us to take. Jesus is saying the third mark of a follower is being a loser, right? We're called to be losers. Now, a lot of people think we're losers already, and that, you know, a lot of people don't uh, value uh, faith and religion anymore, and they would say, we're already losers. What Jesus actually asks us to be a loser. In a world of winners, we're called to be losers. We're asked, actually asked to be losers, but that doesn't mean that we're uh, not competitive because I'm competitive, and I'm still going to win, uh, try and win at games and things. I'm pretty sure that's not going away in my life. I don't know about you. But one of the things about being a loser is, are we willing to lose, right, the things that we think are going to fulfill us? There's a great truth here that Jesus has given us, that we're not going to gain, you know, we can think we gain the whole world, but if we're losing our soul in the process, that's a problem. There's some wisdom here from Jesus, and he doesn't want us to lose our souls in the process of achieving our dreams. And so one of the ways that happens is when we can we align our dreams with God's dream and really make God's dream a priority, we find that we find ourselves. We find our souls. We don't lose them. But take, if you, take for example, uh, a well-known illustration about this, that there have been people that have gone before us. Have you noticed that there are people that achieve what we would define as success and wealth and the, everything in this life. They even make it to the top of their careers or make it top to their sports and the professions. And we would, uh, they get prestige and they get talked about and they get awards and they, we hear about them in the media. And we think these are successful people. Many of these successful people are also empty 
on the inside. All that worldly success has not filled their souls. And we know this. We know this intuitively about ourselves. We know this about other people. You can have all this worldly success and really be empty on the inside. Take, for example, uh, a history lesson. In 1923, some of the wealthiest, most, uh, uh, most uh, uh, powerful men in the world gathered for a meeting in 1923. This was before the Great Depression, before the stock market crash. And these leaders, they were political leaders, they were global economic leaders, they were leaders in wealth in wealth and wealth management. And so think about this. They were gathering together to celebrate how successful they were, how they had achieved everything. They had gained the whole world, so to speak. Not too long after they met, several years later, some things happened to them. And you may know some of these names. You may not know their names. But here's what happened to those men that gathered in that meeting to celebrate their, quote, success. First person you may have heard of, his name's Charles Schwab. He was the president of the largest steel company at the time. He lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died penniless. Richard Whitney, president at the time of the New York Stock Exchange, served time in prison Albert Fall, a member of the president's cabinet at the time, was pardoned from prison so that he could die at his home. Jesse Livermore, the bear of Wall Street, died by suicide. Leon Frazier, president of the Bank of International Settlement, died by suicide. And Ivan Kruger, head of the greatest monopoly probably in the, on the globe, died by suicide. They had gained the whole world and lost their souls. They had lost it. They were empty. They were not fulfilled people. And that's partly because they chose to seek after this measure, this dream of success that the world had set up, rather than God's dream of success, the dream that God has set up for each of us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. That's success by God's definition, by Jesus' definition. So if we think about that, really the greatest hurdle to following Jesus is our dream of success, our own personal ambitions and interests that are opposed or not in alignment with God's dream. So here's some ways that we might redefine success or remeasure success for ourselves. Think about it this way. Instead of defining success by the square footage of our homes, Maybe we would measure it by the quality of our communities. Think about that. Wouldn't it, what a difference would that make in today's world if we really began to develop healthy communities? What about if we stopped measuring success by the amount of money in our bank accounts and really started measuring success by how generous we were with our bank accounts and the money that we have to give and to make a difference in other people's lives? What if we, we stopped measuring success by the designer clothes in our closets and started measuring by the number of people that we actually help clothe in the world? What if we stopped measuring success by the restaurants we could go to and the meals that we could buy in those restaurants to really define the success by the people we shared meals with? You know, like Jesus. Who did Jesus share his meals with? Sinners, tax collectors prostitutes, the demon-possessed, those who needed healing, the masses, the crowds. 
He wasn't dining in fancy restaurants. He was just dining with everyday people. And he had tremendous community because of that. He wasn't empty. There's a phrase, uh, actually a proverb, I believe, and I'm going off the cuff here, so forgive me. But it's better to have bread with a friend than steak with an enemy, right? It's better to have good fellowship and community and break bread with the people around us that, are, that we can be in fellowship with than it is to have a really nice meal with somebody we don't like, right? So think about it. What would lead to fulfillment? I think what leads us to that place is one, redefining our measure of success. We say no to our dreams to say yes to God's dream for our lives. So I hope you're doing that. I hope you're encouraged to do that this morning. And I want us to pray together. And just, I want to invite us to really to pray a prayer of confession uh, in our own heart and give you some time to confess. What is it, confess the things that have been getting in the way of God's dream for you this morning. So let's pray together.